Hello and welcome to another episode of Belltale Rugby. My name is Neve Campbell and all, as always I'm joined by our rugby correspondent Jonathan Bradley and our sports reporter Adam McKendry. Uh, a lot of avid listeners will realise that we didn't put an episode out last week as we recorded on Tuesday and by Tuesday night Johnny had sent in a text to the group chat to say there had been rumblings that Dan McFarland was getting the sack. Um, by Wednesday morning, that was confirmed to be true. So we thought that some of what we talked about last week was a bit out of date by then. Um, but we're back today to answer all the listener questions about that. And also, Johnny, you have a back page story in the Belfast Telegraph paper today. Under fire, Ulster boss, I will not quit after axing Dan. You guys were talking at a press conference with Johnny Petrie last night, what all happened? Uh, yeah, lots. It was weird. It was a strange press. I don't know what Adam thought. I thought it was a very strange press conference. I completely agree. Um, weird vibes. Yeah, I thought there were some really obvious questions people didn't think they were going to get asked. I was more meaning when was the last time that the Dragons had the entire Northern Irish assembled media going to to it. The Dragons game usually ends up with about four people there asking all the questions. No, I, I do completely agree with Johnny. Like there was, there were some very interesting answers which we'll get into. Well, he's like Johnny Petrie himself. He's insisting that he's not about to follow Don McFarland. Um, he's been there since twenty eighteen, just like Don has, and he says he's remaining. There, well, there's rumours that he's um, getting offers in his home country of Scotland, but he says he's going to stay committed. Do you think that's? Do you think that's right of him to do? Do you think he definitely will? Yeah, so his, his, yesterday I think was the first time that I thought Johnny Petrie was sort of showing the strain in terms of his his media dealings anyway, not social media dealings, but media dealings. Um, because he's always very polished. And I think for somebody that is, um, you know, essentially a former rugby player, he comes across as very professional in his media dealings. Like the interview that I did with him in May, like there were clearly some disagreements of what he thought against the questions that I was putting to him, but he was always very um, calm. He was very um, talkative. He was appreciative of where the questions were coming from, even if he didn't necessarily agree with the premise of them. Yesterday, I thought he was a bit more terse in a few instances. Um, whenever he was asked if he was the man to lead Ulster out of their current financial position, he just said yes, and then left it at that. One more, one word answer. Um, Which I think is an interesting response, given that there is justifiable questions over whether he is the man to lead Ulster rugby forward, given the La Rochelle debacle, given the... <clears throat> 4G pitch being put in whenever Ulster are in a precarious financial position. There are questions over whether Johnny Petrie is the right man to lead Ulster forward and when presented with the opportunity to do so, he decided to reply with one word. Now, I understand getting your back up being asked, are you the right person to go f- to take this? Are you the right person to do your own job? <laughs> well, yeah, essentially, like if if any of us put ourselves in his shoes and if somebody asked me, you know, are you the best sports journalist for the Belfast Telegraph? Or if they asked someone working in a corner shop, are you the right person to be working behind this uh, corner shop? You're obviously going to get your back up at that because you don't like being questioned whether you're the right person for the job you're in. But also he is in a very high profile position 
of an organisation that has just sacked its head coach and is facing a lot of problems financially that is going to see them slash their wage budget considerably. So given the opportunity to explain why he is the right man for the job, you think he should take it and he decided not to. See as well, Michael Sadler, one of our other rugby writers, he had a really good piece in the Sunday Life this week about, so the interim head coach is now Richie Murphy, who's the Ireland under-20s coach. Um, and he just talks about everything that he thinks that Richie Murphy will have to do to sort of build Ulster back up again. You can go and read that on belfasttelegraph.co.uk as well. Um, but in terms of, of Dan Levin, we're going to go to the listener questions now. And Stephen Bailey has asked, was the problem just Dan McFarland? Will the interim coach bounce, get Ulster into the playoffs? I think they'll still make the playoffs. I, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination Dan McFarland was the only problem. I think, to summarise quickly for the uh, purposes of a podcast, a head coach may set the tone, but some of the performances that we've seen over the last three months even say you, you don't even have to go back as far as 14 months back to that sale game but over the last three months cannot solely be the fault of a coach because there's players just not playing up to the standards that they've set themselves like we talk about Ulster having a good squad we talk about Ulster certainly having a squad that should have them higher in the league than eighth and there's only so much of that can be pinned on a head coach and not the entire entirety of the organisation. If you want to, you know, we're talking about, we opened this talking about Petrie's future. Is the financial performance of the team better or worse than the on-field performance of the team? Like if, you know, we're talking about £900,000 of losses last year, um, projected losses in the future, there might even be more than that or very close to it, you know. Um, documents have been circulating from Ulster management meetings that really lay bare the financial struggles that they're going to be in, having originally been projected to break even in 24-25 and the fact that that's now not going to happen despite, as we've talked about at length in previous episodes, the cuts to the wage bill. I'm sure we'll come on to, come on to that again. I know we did talk about it last week in the never-to-be-aired episode, <laughs> but... Um, we might make it public at some point just to see how accurate our predictions were. <laughs> there's uh, there's, there's so many things that need sorted out. And look, you're never as far away as you seem whenever you're at a low ebb. And you're probably never as good as you are whenever you're riding the... Or never as good as people think you are whenever you're riding the crest of a wave either. But to my mind anyway... Ulster don't have the squad that they had two years ago, which was a squad that was capable of competing in, I would have said, the top eight in Europe. Maybe you could argue the toss and say they, sh so they were somewhere between top, uh, top 16, top 12, whatever. But I think beyond the fact that they got two very tough draws, uh, the Toulouse draw especially for that two-legged last 16 game, at a time when they'd had a great pool stage. I think Ulster were pretty consistently in with a shout of being quarter-finalists in the Champions Cup. I don't know if um, they were going to go further than that, but certainly quarter-finalists and certainly 
up until that Stormers game, certainly capable of being at the sharp end of the ERC. I don't think that they have the squad where you would necessarily say that now because I think it's a weaker squad. Um, whether that be down to players losing form, players taking backward steps, departures, um, maybe players not developing in the way that we thought that they would. You can debate all of the reasons behind this, but the bottom line is I don't think the squad is as good. And the financial projections certainly don't make it seem like the squad is going to get better in the short to medium term unless young players and for young players, we may as well say, well, say what it is. It's code for cheap players. Outperform expectations. So is that, or sorry, was Dan the only problem? Absolutely not. I think you've sort of answered. So Stephen McCormick, who is a regular listener and always puts in questions to us. So thanks, Stephen. You've answered a few of his questions there. So he has said, if you think it is compatible, is Dan the only reason for the club and team tending to regularly move one step forward and two steps back? If not other reasons... He also asked... Well, yeah, you, you know, you can't say, is Dan the reason for that when it's been happening for 20 years? <laughs> you know, Dan was only there for five and a half. Scapegoat. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Stephen also asks, is the culture at Ulster not the one needed by a professional sports club? If so, what is wrong with it? He's also said, is the IRFU now effectively in charge? And then that ties in, just wanted to bring this in all together, that ties in with James Bradley has asked, and it is the same one he sent last week, about whether the IRFU have a duty to help Ulster in the current circumstances, and if so, what is required? So from talking to a few people who would have or currently know what the environment would have been like, I think what sort of happened was that players started to become a little bit fearful of their performances and that in a bid to create this ultra competitive environment that Dan initially came in and wanted to create he almost started manufacturing it and that resulted in players being dropped because of their very minor mistakes to try and create this edge and it ended up in players walking on eggshells so it, it where head coaches do sort of take the the brunt of things is ultimately the buck falls on them. They decide how things are run. They decide whether they're going to be laissez-faire in relation to this. They're going to take a hardline stance on this. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And while, yes, it is a many cooks add to the broth, ultimately he is the one who's stirring the pot. So... uh in regards to the IRFU, can they step in? Um, technically, they have because they've got Richie Murphy up coming to uh, coming to step in as, as interim coach. Technically, they so, have and do every year because they subsidise the province. Well, yeah. So they already are stepping in. If Ulster can't do, if Ulster can't make the rest of that picture fit to the tune of. £700,000, £900,000. That's their problem. They're mm. already getting the money from the IRFU. I, I was more meaning the IRFU aren't going to step in, you know, with this massive public statement or something and say, you know, uh, 
we are we are taking over direct control of Ulster. David Nusafor is going to come down. He's going to be sitting in Ravenhill every day, overseeing everything. Like it's not going to be that kind of direct control. But as we know, Ulster, as Johnny's just said, there Ulster are run by the RFU. For you know to to really simplify it, like Ulster. All the money comes from the IRFU. Uh, all of the sponsorship money they'll still bring in goes to the IRFU and then comes back to them. Uh, you know, like so. Yes, the IRFU subsidize Ulster they're not going to assume direct control and everything that Ulster does is going to be micromanaged by by Dublin. That's not how the business model runs in the overarching sense the RFU already run Ulster in that you know any contract decisions have to go through the RFU any hirings or firings very applicable at the moment have to go through the RFU Ulster Johnny Petrie can't just sit there and say we're going to get rid of Dan McFarland and do it without first consulting with Dublin he has to go to the RFU first and say we're thinking about making a change at head coach and the RFU have to say yes we're happy for you to do that so, you know, from that perspective, I think the the bigger question is more, you know, are the RFU going to bail out Ulster financially is maybe the better question. And the answer is no, they're not. Because... Why should uh, they? Yeah, well, exactly. You know, like Ulster are the ones who have put themselves in this position and the RFU, the RFU could say, you know, we're just going to direct a whole load more funds to you, but ultimately that is to the detriment of something else. And we know that the RFU, their main priority is the Irish national team. Their main priority is Six Nations performances, World Cup performances, Autumn Internationals, how many people they're getting through the gates at the Aviva Stadium. Now, ultimately, the provinces do feed to that. You know, if you don't have successful provinces, you won't have a successful national team because you need to have the players coming through the provinces in order to feed the national team. And from that perspective, perspective Ulster not doing that because in the uh, France game they obviously didn't have a player in the matchday squad and for the uh, Wales game there they only had one player in the matchday squad and he was on the bench so from that perspective there will be concern about Ulster and how much they are producing and providing for the national team and there will be concern from the RFU from that perspective but ultimately they will look at how they will change things at Ulster but it's it's not going to be you know like uh, as I say they're not going to have David Nusifor for the final few months of, that he's here he's not going to be coming up to Belfast every day to oversee everything it's going to be uh, Ulster have to get themselves out of this mess and uh, how they do that directly relates to what Johnny Petrie was saying to us yesterday. James has also asked that can we give a shout out to Instonians for their Titanic run of 30 plus, over 30, sorry, BP victories in a row. So we've done that now. <laughs> Just, it really was an amazing, an amazing achievement. Um, to, 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 turn, to turn this all into something positive. <laughs> <laughs> and then straight back to the negative. Because obviously from, uh, to, to go the whole way through last season with a, a perfect record had never been done before, but then to keep it going, having been promoted as well. Um, yeah, incredible. Um, back to the other listener questions. I'm just scrolling here because some of them are sort of the same. Um, Nathan Cassidy, rumour about Juju Stu McCluskey being sought after in France. Is there any substance to that? Johnny Petrie says he's under contract. That's just it. That's Didn't the say anything that. else. That was, uh, <laughs> that was his one sentence answer when asked, 
if Ulster were in a financial position to uh, make an attractive offer for Stu to stay. Um, I've seen some people say, like, oh, you know, he's 31. And he has talked relatively openly about the idea that he doesn't see himself doing this forever. You know, he doesn't see himself playing on that he's 37, like uh, uh, Rory Best, you know. Um but I, th- I think it would be a disaster. I think it's actually been underplayed how bad it would be if he were to go. Like, we talked about this with Handy last year about how Ulster just don't lose homegrown players in their prime. You have to go back to, you know, Neil Best, Roger Wilson, Tommy Bow. And it's happened to everybody else. Every other province has, uh, has had to deal with this. Ulster haven't. But the message that it would send, because it would essentially be as Johnny Petrie notes, McCluskey is in contract. So it would be a Marcel Katsia situation of a player leaving in contract um, to go somewhere else to be paid more money, presumably a different lifestyle. Again, as we talked about with Handy, I am amazed that more people don't do it, but I suppose it speaks to how well looked after rugby players in Ireland are that people don't um, even just get tempted by the opportunity to experience a different culture, a different, uh, I suppose, just a, a complete lifestyle change. But that's what, sorry, the, the big bird, that's what their name is on Twitter. I don't know what their real name is. Like, literally said, I suppose what you're talking about there, Johnny. Why, Carl why wouldn't Spiney, was that the person that played Big Bird? <laughs> it's him. How do you know that? <laughs> why would you not know General. Sesame Street characters, puppeteers? Straight into the, that'll be used in the pub quiz of locking that away in random general knowledge for future but he said he or she has said why why wouldn't Big Stu go to France and I suppose that's everything that you're <laughs> saying like yeah, a different yeah. more luxurious way of living some people are homebirds um, well, the, big, know, the like, big bird isn't here the big bird is definitely <laughs> big looking, looking to, to fly the Cooper um, yeah like he's got uh, you know he's got a young family but um, young enough that the kids aren't in school yet um, so I suppose now probably is the time to do it. He has what seventeen seventeen Ireland Cups. I could be wrong on that. Um, he's probably not going to win too many more. Although we did see him as a winger at the weekend, so that was new. Because um, we always talk about the depth at centre. Maybe this is where he's been <laughs> going wrong. And I'll get away from that. Uh, Bondiaki, Gary Ringrose, Robbie Henshaw. Selection logjam and just turn yourself into a into a right winger could be uh, could be genius. I mean, the man in Andolo was yeah yeah size of a size of a truck and played on the wings. So, and uh, Nadolo used to kick, and we saw McCluskey goal kick in that one game. <laughs> <laughs> um, and funny enough, never again since. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's put, like he's probably not going to get too many more Ireland caps. You know, the centres have been going really well. He's not going to make it to the next World Cup by that stage. He'll already be in an age where he has indicated that he doesn't see himself still playing. So if he's looking at it and thinking, what is my one burning ambition in Irish rugby? It's probably going to be to win silverware with Ulster. If you're looking at it, is that a realistic enough prospect over the next two to three years for him to stay? I would say no. This is like this is all projection. I've obviously not talked to him about it. Like so, but you're asking if if it were me, um, 
I think it's something you would find very hard to turn down. It'd be interesting to see the reaction to it because obviously like Marcel could see it whenever he was going home um, in contract. Uh, a lot of people didn't take that very well. So it'd be interesting to see the reaction to uh, a homegrown player looking out of a contract that they'd signed. I, I was going to say... I wouldn't read anything into Petrie's response of he's under contract because we've seen thing, largely yeah. over the last few years. It's, it's almost exactly what they said about Katsia because that's semantics. Mm-hmm. It, the question that I asked was obviously worded in the way that it was, can you appease fans' fears that you're going to be able to make an attractive offer to keep McCluskey while he's in contract? Doesn't actually. It sounds like it's answering the question, but it's not actually answering the question. And put it, put it this way: if any team right now would benefit from a financial boost of having a player bought out of his contract, it would be Ulster. I would push against that because McCluskey is the type of player that you can't be losing, no matter how much money you're going to save in wages, or if you're going to get a quote-unquote transfer fee. Like, you're not going to get that much money from for buying out the year of his contract. It's not going to be a Owen Farrell situation. But if they're cutting the wage bill from 3.9 million to 3.6 million a year, where you're making those savings has to be, absolutely has to be in terms of fringe players. It can, You can't be sending the message that you can't afford to keep arguably your key player, certainly your key back. I think Ulster are... He is their key back. Ulster are so much different as a team whenever he's not playing that it would be disastrous to lose him for financial reasons. Now, for all those reasons that we mentioned, you might be in a position where you're going to lose him at the end of the year, sorry, at the end of next year anyway, because maybe he does just fancy finishing his career with a different challenge. But... Burns, Billy Burns to me was the perfect um, tipping point here example because you're a worse team without Billy Burns. But is Billy Burns of the level where you're going to win trophies or be competing for trophies? And somebody in Ulster has obviously decided no. So he is the highest profile player that we've heard about so far. Um, a guaranteed starter in the European games. I know they've tried to give Flannery more games, but a guaranteed starter when everybody's fit in their first choice team. Trev, oh, sorry, are we going to say something? I don't know. Oh, Adam has to step out for a wee interview, so it's just me and Johnny now. I might be back. You, you might be know. back. Johnny's happy to Depends answer. Depends how well your interview goes. <laughs> um, so Trev, the trainer, has said, with all the rumours about players having to leave, is there any sign of the promised income from the very costly plastic pitch, or is it just another management failure? Hold on, because I've got notes here somewhere. <laughs> um, this question came in after I looked at them, so... Um, Please hold. Yeah. Yep, 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 we don't have any fancy hold music to... <laughs> play in the meantime um, so again just in documents that have sort of been circulating around if you like um, the in this financial year the event hire was originally budgeted as a source of income and has since been removed from this financial year so 
there is an understanding that the pitch is <laughs> the pitch that we were told is going to start paying for itself is not going to pay for itself or sorry not going to start paying for itself yet anyway because obviously you know you don't have to have access to professional game management meetings to know that because you can just look on Ticketmaster and be like well all these concerts in the summer are in Botanic or they're on Orma Park or Boucher Road like there's you know there's nothing happening in Kingspan this summer obviously and these things are all booked um, quite far in advance I have some background in this I used to work doing like PR or comms if you like for a management uh, or event management thing and these things are all done so far in advance that it's not a case of all of a sudden um, there's going to be a 20,000 capacity gig announced in Ravenhill for this summer when we're already sat nearly in March, you know, like it's a difficult space to get into actually. And I always thought it was difficult because Belfast doesn't really need more venues venues of that size. What Belfast needs is like venues of a thousand to two thousand because it's got the Ulster Hall but that's taken up by the orchestra for so many days of the year. So like Belfast's problem for this kind of thing has always been that you could play like the Mandela Hall or the Mandela Hall as it was before they knocked it down with a capacity of a thousand. And then if you were going to play something bigger than that, it's like you're going to the Odyssey, which I think is seven and a half thousand or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's where the gap in the market is. The gap in the market isn't for more outdoor gigs, but I could be wrong. Um, UEL Stir for Ulster, but their name is Ulster, has said, would doubters within the Ulster Rugby Supporters Alliance rather have Ulster Rugby in the same scenario as Wasps, London Irish and Worcester? I can never say that word. Worcester. Worcester sauce. Uh, there are some very, very vocal led by a logo emblazoned on our shirt that have demanded Dan McFarland and Johnny Petrie out. The coaches we've had can't be all bad, can they? No, like, Dan McFarland is not a bad coach and you can see the results that they had over the first four years that he's obviously not a bad coach. And the example that always gets thrown around here is Mark McCall. And Mark McCall got hounded out of Ulster. And look what he went on today since. He's been the most decorated club coach um, of his generation, really, whenever you look at what he was able to do with with Saracens. But I would even look in the more recent past, like look at the whenever Johan van Graan was leaving Munster, right? And look at the way that people viewed his time in Thoman Park, right? And he went to Bath, and now by all accounts, he's doing a brilliant job in Bath. Now, having Finn Russell and having the players and so on and so forth helps. But the fact of the matter is, like, Johan van Graan is viewed completely differently in his next job than he was in his previous one. And I would say that's likely going to be the case with Dan McFarland. To the point of, would people rather see Ulster go to the wall? Obviously not, but I, that doesn't mean that we there shouldn't be questions asked of how they've got in a position where they're losing so much money. As we said at the top of the show, whenever Munster and Connacht are not losing that amount of money and are operating in the same, again, quote-unquote, this is very bad for podcasting, but air quotes, cost of living... <laughs> Um, and the increase in cost of running a business. Like, we're not hearing these same stories about Munster and Connacht. Leinster are a completely different kettle of fish because, well, I suppose 
first and foremost having the Aviva Stadium um, to increase their gate receipts really helps. Uh, the big driver, obviously, the uh, fact that their playing squad is built upon a core of players that are centrally contacted to the RFU. But there's no reason why Ulster shouldn't be looking at the business models of Munster and Connacht and thinking, well, why why are we in this mess and the other provinces aren't? And look, whatever you want to say about Munster's GRC title last year, like, yes, they finished fifth, but they still won silver. That's still something that Ulster haven't done since 2006. So Munster are able to operate um, in a way that they are still, they're, they're, they're the reigning champions. Connacht, Still won a trophy ten years more recently than uh, than Ulster did, even though it's now what would that be eight years ago now? Um, so I I suppose maybe the question is driving at: Do people want Ulster to keep spending money recklessly um, to bring in the players that are going to get them to silver, and then end up in the position that? Sadly, those English teams have done where they're uh, where they're out of business, or you know, you see the Rebels and Super Rugby sort of sound like they're going to be the latest one. But there are two different. It's two different points there. You can ask why Ulster are losing money to the degree that they're losing, without saying, and you can say that a, re- a reduction of the wage bill looks like it's necessary, while still questioning where the money is going. Bearing in mind that those teams did not have union backing in the same way that Ulster do from the RFU. You're touching on it there, but Derry Gasman has, I don't know, he's like, no one's using their real names today. Derry Gasman has said, will Ulster rugby exist in one, three or five years? Like, do you think it is going to go really downhill? I I don't think it'll ever be that bad, but I think, again, partly because of that safety net of the RFU, but... um, they need to get to a point where they're balancing the books. And they're, I think there's this idea that because they signed Stephen Kitchoff and he was only on the, <laughs> only on the bench in that Osprey game, that, and because we're hearing about a reduction in the wage bill, I think there's an assumption that the wage bill is the overspend. And that to me isn't the case because the wage bill, to my mind, is being cut because it's the easiest thing to cut because players are out of contract. So, and obviously it's the biggest, um, the biggest expenses, costs associated with the professional game. So the wage bill is a huge part of that. But people shouldn't think that just because it's the easiest thing to cut or because it's the thing that can claw back the most money that that's where the overspend is. And I think if you really look at it, it's not even so much an overspend so much as an underperformance in bringing in revenue. Like we talk about the um, decreased attendances and, you know, if you correlate that out over 13 games a season, you're not long in getting to a quite substantial amount of money. So these things all matters. The sponsorship matters. The uh, um, corporate revenue, all of these things matter. So, The fact of the matter is that there's an inclination to think that the players are being paid too much, which isn't the case. And I think if you're looking at the amount of money spent on wages by squads that are looking to compete, 
Ulster aren't being extravagant by any means. Yes, like people, you know, Welsh regions, as an example, may look at Ulster pleading poverty while also signing Kitschov or whatever, but it's an underperformance in terms of generating revenue rather than it's an overspend, to my mind. I haven't done math since GCSE, so like, <laughs> go easy. We were talking about this before the podcast. We were like, so not maths orientated and business orientated, but um, this isn't actually a listener question, but Johnny, just like in your own personal opinion, talking about Dan McFarland, do we know what's next for him or what do you think will be next for him? The thing about this is, right, so there's only 51 of these jobs in the world, even mm-hmm. club rugby. Like there's obviously test jobs and Dan's worked um, in the test arena before as Scotland's um, forwards coach. There's not a lot of those jobs, but I would go back to the like Van Graan example. Like Van Graan fell upwards, if you like, like Monster fans might not like him, but he fell into a better situation. Um, and I can see that happening for Don McFarland. Um, I think if Don McFarland were to go into a job interview and highlight what he did over the first four years, rather than how things ended. And look, he maybe wouldn't want to do this in a job interview and maybe wouldn't come across well in a job interview, but he could also <laughs> point in and be like, well, look what always happens with these guys. <laughs> like, the coach always ends up getting fired because they can't get rid of the players. And this is a thing that is, you know, I, th- I think it was Stephen McCormick who was talking about the culture. Like, the this has been a trend for 20 years, well, 18 years. Um so it's not one player group, it's not one coach, but like um, our colleague Stephen Beacom described them as the uh, as the spurs of uh, the the spurs of rugby, which is obviously very unfair. If anything, they're more like the Liverpool of rugby, clinging to relevance generated I through the nineteen eighties. This is because Johnny's a Spurs <laughs> fan and I'm a Liverpool fan. A team, a team that was good in the eighties, still thinking they are something. Yeah. Um, Everton. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but. I think genuinely, I think people, if they were to take the big picture view of Dan McFarland's tenure, I think he'll get another job. It wouldn't surprise me if he got another job quickly. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he was a head coach somewhere else next season. And I would say the only thing counting counting against that is what we've said that, that you know there is a very limited amount of these jobs, um, really across world rugby, head coaching jobs in teams you know in the in the top domestic league in that country so you're really talking about the premiership top 14 URC and super rugby you know um I don't know I had something else to say but I can't remember what it was you're okay completely We're lost my train of thought putting a lot of pressure on you because that's <laughs> um just finally and it's just we're running out of time but just to touch on the game this weekend uh, Ulster will face the Dragons at home what do you think? Like, what are your predictions? Very quickly to summarize everything, Johnny. Do you think sometimes you know, you know, what's the old saying? A change is as good as a rest. Maybe with yeah, the new interim like, coaching, they'll get a re- resurge of life or something. Yeah, it was interesting uh, the press comments yesterday because you know James Hume in interviews that will appear on in Saturday's papers, you know, was talking about you know um, a reset and a bit of, you know, energized and things like that. And they talk about that new manager bounce in football and stuff, you know, and I just, like, the Dragons without their internationals is obviously, it's one of the softer openings that you could have. And it's not even really an opening, I suppose, because this is like a one-game thing for Dan Sober before Richie Murphy comes in. But 
It's interesting to me that this game was coming up on the fixture list because you would think that if Ulster had have beaten the Ospreys, which they were like a drop goal away from doing, that regardless of who the head coach was for this game, they would have won this game. And then you're going to South Africa to play the team that's bottom of the league. So the timing of it to me is, I suppose the, the timing of Dan McFarlane's sacking, which we didn't really talk about, is interesting to me because after the Harlequins game, the Harlequins game was probably a lot worse than the Ospreys game, really. But the Ospreys game proved to be the final straw. But as we've said, looking to that fixture list now with like Dragons and then a two-week break and then you're playing, yes, you're going away to Durban, which isn't easy, but you are going to be playing in the Sharks, the team that's bottom of the league. So you have the opportunity to claw your way back up that table. Um, you should be able to have a strong enough team. You know, sounds like Marty Murr, Tom O'Toole um, could be back. So you could have those, uh, your first choice. Tight head, get Nick Timoney back, obviously, having been down in Ireland camp. Um, somebody else who was injured but now isn't injured. Sean Raphael coming back in. Um you should have a squad that is more than good enough to beat the Dragons. The response, like, will be interesting. Bearing in mind that Ulster haven't racked up, like, try bonus points really through this season. They got one at the very start, but, like, most of their bonus points have come um, in narrow league defeats. So if they go out and put, like, 40 or 50 on the Dragons, like, is it a statement? I think you would have to say that it is. Um, and it, But equally, if they go out and look as error-strewn as they have been or as clunky as they have been and you see players making the basic mistakes that they have done in recent weeks, um, then obviously that does not bode well for moving forward because you haven't got that immediate uplift from uh, changing head coach. It'll be interesting. I said there'll be like a lot more casual eyes on the match this weekend than usual. Um, but you can keep up with all of that, all the match reports and analysis on Johnny's columns at belfasttelegraph.co.uk or you can lift a daily newspaper and the Sunday Life as well on Sunday. And until next week, thanks for listening. Sorry about all the listener questions that went unanswered last week, but I hope you can understand why. Well, they went, they were answered. They were answered, <laughs> just never, they were answered and they were answered very well and full. I'm getting deja vu because a lot of them were sort of answered again today. Um, but yeah, I think the, the Stephen McCormick question and the, the James Bradley question yeah. so we, uh, we yeah. went again at. Um, and then here, we'll maybe answer some more next week as well. But until then, have a good week. Thanks for listening. Bye.